All right, everybody, welcome back to Apex Mind. Adam with you here as always. And on this week's episode, I am pleased to welcome to the show, Harris Fanaroff. Harris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Adam. Really excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And we're happy to have you. Um, but let, let's just jump right in. I know on your social media profiles, you label yourself as the onboarding guy. So um, before we hear about kind of that label and what, what got there, tell us about your background and kind of what got you to being an onboarding guru. Appreciate you asking. So I'll give the, the shorter story. We might get into all the baseball and what got me into the leadership and HR world. But essentially what was going on was I was having conversations with HR leaders over the last two plus years and saying, hey, what are some of the things that you're focused on? What are some of your big priorities? And onboarding, basically every time kept coming up. This is such a problem. I don't know if the hiring manager or HR manages it. And because of that, nobody really manages it. And so because of that, we're having issues with like our new hires having good onboarding experiences. It's because of that, I just started to like kind of dive in more and figure out what are some of the big issues that you're dealing with? How can I try to help? And that led me to helping a lot of organizations with it, which then led me ultimately to where I'm at now, which I know we'll dive into in a little bit, but it really came from like a, how do you effectively build that good relationship with your new hires from the moment that they accept that offer? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's definitely a persistent um focus for a lot of companies. You know, I've, I've worked all the way up to fortune 20 and all the way down to startups. And I work with a lot of smaller businesses now that don't really have established teams. And it's interesting to note how every company has that problem. And yet there's not really easy and consistent solutions. So before we get to your solutions and kind of what you're doing today, I still want to hear a little bit more about the background. So you said you did uh, baseball and I'm, I'm always interested to hear people who did like teaching and training outside of the corporate world. So um, you know, what, what was your experience there and how did that kind of set you up to help people to learn and get better? It's how I got into the industry. So my whole life and my whole identity have really been wrapped around baseball. And I always describe myself as an athlete and as a baseball player, that was my differentiator. So this was how I grew up. This is what was really important to me. And then I got drafted out of high school uh, as a baseball player, as a left-handed pitcher. I didn't go. Instead, I went to college. College, I got something called the yips. And for anyone that's not familiar, the yips is essentially when your brain and your arms stop talking. And so I was a pitcher that essentially forgot how to throw. And that was incredibly, incredibly difficult for me to deal with. Baseball was what I wrapped my whole identity around. It was everything to me. And then I really forgot how to do the most basic thing that you could do. In it. So I stopped pitching. I tried to come back as a position player didn't really have it, started to actually hate baseball. So it was my junior year of college, said, no more. I hate this, I hate this, it's not fun. I'm not enjoying this. And I really, really struggled after that. Like mentally, emotionally, really struggled. And I was lucky to have people in my support group that helped me from going into a really dark, deep, really dark, tough place. And I'll always be grateful for that. But I got out of, and I got my first job in, out of college. I was doing higher education consulting and it was fine, but I'm like, there's gotta be more to life than talking about budget models and data governance and deferred maintenance. It's like, I'm passionate guy. Like I gotta find something more. And so I reached out to anyone that would have a conversation with me about probably about my 75th conversation was with an individual who's a leadership coach and he was going through a leadership coaching program. And he said, do you wanna work with me? And I'm like, I don't know anything about what leadership coaching is. You seem like a good, good guy. So let's try it out. And it totally changed my life. 
going through those 12 sessions with that individual completely changed my life, how I looked at that baseball situation, how I kind of looked at my life and started to want to show up more intentionally. I walked out of that conversation, I said, or out of that, those 12 sessions, I said, what you just did for me, I want to go do for other people. I went and got certified myself as a leadership coach. And then it was, how can I start to do this stuff full time, which led me to my last job, which led me to all these conversations with HR. And now I'm in this onboarding um, world. So it's a long-winded story, but that's how I got into it. Yeah, you know, um, well, we all have our stories. And, and I find a lot of people in the training or enablement realm, you know, might have more of an academic background and maybe they went to their, their college for a PhD for it. Um, you know, I feel like I can relate more to you because it was more of that inspiration. I, I was someone who felt like I wasn't supported. Um, and I had a trainer at a job and this trainer was like a guy who believed in me. And it was that same thing you talked about with that coach you had where that spark made you want to give that to other people. Um, so I, I do want to touch more on that, that yip thing. Cause I I'm a baseball guy too. Um, not really a player, a fan, but, um, you know, I think that makes me feel as if it's this challenge and we all face those challenges and you had to overcome that. You said you had that support group, but I think that relates to the business world too. I mean, we all face um, challenges. We all face uh, what imposter syndrome. So ha have you been able to take that experience of, of the baseball challenges you had and apply that more into business context and the business world? Absolutely. I wrote a long thread like a couple of weeks ago around like how baseball lessons translate to the business world. And, and that's not just baseball, it's any sports lessons. But like one of the biggest things that I realized is like any type of success, there's always a massive failure right next to it. And if you can't deal with failure and be comfortable with failure, like you're going to really struggle in the business world. And so one of the things I love helping people deal with and like work around is like, yeah, it didn't go right the first time, but like, how can we reiterate and make changes off of that and actually reframe our mindset around what failure is? This is a lot of what the coaching is that I would do is like people have traumas, difficult things that they've gone with, but like, let's use that to propel us into a pretty good spot. And like, that's how I've reframed it and reframing and living more intentionally has been like a huge aspect and part of my life that I think started to occur after I got coached and then became a coach. And that led me to like the people side of business. And like, I love people. Like I'm a people person. I'm extroverted. I care about connecting with people. And it's so like HR is my home. I love business. I love people. It's like, that's where I'm going to stay forever. This onboarding piece is something that I believe really heavily in and get, and I'm passionate about as well. Yeah, I, I think it really is all about people. I, I recently had a guest on here. His name's Matthew Dix. He's a storytelling expert. And he always talks about that people connection. Um, he's an elementary school teacher. And he, he was talking about how, you know, it, the lesson plans aren't even as important as his connections with his students. And I think that translates to the business world too. So um, there's a few things I've seen you say that I think really resonated with me. And I wanted to talk about them here. One, I, I know you mentioned that about a third of all employees are quitting their jobs within 90 days. And you attribute a lot of that to, you know, like a poor onboarding experience. So, um, you know, you want to share any more about that and, and what you're seeing as like maybe the causes of why people are leaving jobs shortly after starting them? It's an amazing stat. When you think about that, like a third of employees are leaving after 90 days, that they're not feeling that sense of connection and belonging to the organization. And that starts from the moment that they say, yep, I'm coming on board to Adam's company. Your job to get them to feel connected to your organization begins immediately. And when companies don't do that, when someone comes 
knocking along and they're going to pay me $10,000 more. Okay, I'll go because Adam's company never took the time to form that connection, form that bond, ask me what I cared about, ask me what I was motivated by. And so I feel like a lot of these companies are like wondering why people are leaving. And it's like, ask them what they're motivated by. They give you the blueprint to be able to do that, but you got to ask and you got to train your managers and you got to make sure that person feels a sense of connection and belonging. I think even more in this remote world that we work in, it's so it's it's harder to do. You have to be intentional about it. You have to do things that will set you up for success from that point because they're not just going to walk by the water cooler and see that individual. And so how can you intentionally set up that connection? I think is massive when it comes to why somebody will stay at your organization past 90 days and ideally years and years into the future. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned like the remote world we're in. Obviously, we've all seen a lot of changes in business over the last two and a half years. Something else we've seen um, see these new trends and these new terms that didn't exist prior to 2020. We heard about the great resignation for a while, and now we're hearing this new term of quiet quitting. And, and there's obviously a lot of things involved with both of these, but I feel like they are both people issues. They are both connection issues, like what you just mentioned. So have you, what, what ways have you seen that, that connection that, you know, employers have to make with their employees and how it can maybe affect those things, keep people from resigning or keep people from not wanting to put in like that extra effort, so to speak. It is really interesting. Those two big terms, great resignation, quiet quitting. I'm really curious to see what the 2023 term will be for people not feeling engaged and connected to their organization. That's really, I think, what it, what it comes down to. I think a couple of different things. I think the, the manager-employee relationship matters a ton. There's a, there's a ton of different stats around people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And it's that manager's job to make sure that they're building a connection with their employee, that they're communicating with them early and often, that they are understanding what motivates them, uh, what they like to do outside of work, making sure that like their understanding of different things going on in their life. So I think that's a really big, important aspect. Another one that I think can really help is like, how are people forming bonds and connections to others in the organization? And so are there different team members that they're being connected to? Or I've heard a lot of companies that do a pretty effective job around buddies and mentors, uh, mentor program to make sure. So like I'm Harris in Washington, DC, but I'd love to be connected to uh, Adam in Dublin, Ireland, or John in uh, Connecticut, because we're interested in similar things. And so if I can build that connection, I can be excited. That's going to help me want to stay at the organization. So building that good, strong manager relationship, having different friends, honestly, in the organization is really going to support either of those big issues because you're going to want to feel more motivated to help support the, the broader mission, the broader goal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think those connections are, are very key. And, and you mentioned a buddy and mentor system, and, and I want to come back to that. That's something that I think not isn't done well enough or often enough, um, but it has impact. But I know you also talk a lot about this concept of pre-boarding. Um, I, I had a job, my previous job to the one I'm doing now, we actually did pre-boarding. We had a buddy system, but I feel like not enough companies are doing that and maybe not enough people know about it. So specifically with pre-boarding, what is it and how do you do it well? Great question. It's like the space that I'm like most passionate about. I have this hypothesis that our first impressions in relationships matter so much. Our first impressions with employers matter just as much. And so making sure that you're doing that effectively is so, so important. And so by doing, so here's what I love to do. So immediately somebody will, um, they'll, they'll, they'll sign on with the organization and then they'll have to 
fill out, here's what motivates me, here's what brought me to the organization, here's what's gonna keep me to the organization, here's the best praise that I've received. And so that information immediately gets sent to their manager. Their manager has the blueprint of what will be, what will keep them at the organization so they know what to effectively work with them for. Another thing that I love to do is I love to have like a senior leader reach out to that individual with a video that says, hey, Harris is joining the organization. Uh, send a quick, here's some of the things, mission, vision, values that we're focused on. So that senior leader, a couple of different team members reaching out saying, hey, Harris, so excited to join you here. You're interested in blah, blah, blah. And then making sure also that IT is a big aspect of that. I think in all the different onboarding conversations that I've had, everybody has a IT uh, pre-boarding nightmare. And so making sure that that part is being done effectively. So kind of the four-step process, just to uh, say it back, um, understanding of motivation, manager reaching out and forming connections, um, the uh, team members reaching out, senior executive, and then uh, the IT context. So the, the, those five aspects. Of these yeah, those are, those are all good. I, I want to dive into a few of those, but let, let's start off with the leader aspect that that was in that previous role when, when we had done pre-boarding, that was something that was really effective and we even had data to show that the leaders that were more engaged would have less turnover on their teams than the ones that were less engaged. And that kind of leads me to that question of, I think the most challenging thing, if you're in a training enablement HR type role, and you're the one who's managing this pre-boarding onboarding, you may have challenges with getting those leaders to invest that time or to do those things, they may not see the necessity of it. So what advice do you have for, for teams like that and what they can do to get the leaders of the business involved in this process? Yeah, it's tough because everybody's, everybody's busy. And I try to make this as easy as possible on the senior leader. So like what I'll do is literally give like a script of what they can say, hey, I'm Harris, I'm the CEO of Activate Onboarding. And this is what we're focused on, I can't wait to welcome you to the team. So the may easier that you can make that process and like upload your video here, click this button, it goes to that individual. Like you have to make it as easy as possible for them, but they also have to care about retention and engagement. And that has to be an area of focus for them. Um, but I think easing the ability to make it happen and driving home how important that first impression is, that onboarding would be a really good way to help make them more willing to do it. Another thing that I just like, like if that's one of the five processes, like five things that you're putting in place, that gives you a better shot to be successful rather than it being the only one. So I like to have a number of different things in place where if three of the five happen, we're really in good shape. If five happen, we're the best organization in the world. If one happens, we're still better than 90% of the companies out there who aren't doing something necessarily between that pre-boarding aspect when you uh, accept your job and when you start on day one. Yeah, absolutely. I like the uh, fallbacks and and the you know multiple ways to hit that in that in that role that I was in. We also had a pre-recorded video from the CEO. Obviously, he's too busy to do it for every new hire, so it was a little generic and it was pre-recorded, but it was that thing that went to everybody guaranteed. And then hopefully you have the managers following up. Um, and I like we'll come back to um, active and what that offers. It, so it sounds like there's some automation and and some templates built in there, but I think that's, that's good. Let's make leaders lives easier. They, they are super busy. Um, but, but let's come back to the it thing. Cause, um, geez, I mean, in, in the 15 years that I've been doing onboarding at multiple companies, not having equipment working and set up or systems access, you know, maybe you get the computer, but you can't access necessary systems that can really ruin an onboarding experience. And it can delay some things. 
Um, and that's generally something that's done outside of the person who's running the onboarding experience. They have to partner with that external team. So what suggestions or advice do you have? And maybe it is the templates that you provide, but what suggestions do you have to make that smoother to make sure those boxes are checked on time and things will work when they need to work? IT comes up in every onboarding conversation that, I, that, I've, that I've had. Adam, you're, you're spot on in how big of an issue this is. I've heard, I didn't get my equipment for a day, for three days, for three weeks. I mean, like, it's just remarkable how many times this happened. What I think is really important is to, is to hold IT accountable, to make sure that they have a way to know whoever's the IT contact, make sure they have a way to say, yes, I sent Harris um, his materials and I did it. I know that Harris's start date is October 15th. So by October 8th, I've checked the mark that says this has been hap this has happened so far. I think a big way is like what currently happens is the hiring manager or um, the one HR contact or HR shoots an email to IT who's really, really busy. They say, hey, I really, Harris is starting. I really wanna make sure it happens. And there's just no way to like document that that process is happening. That's been the biggest way I've seen people have success with like making sure and being like, oh, as the HR or hiring manager, I know that Harris hasn't gotten his, his laptop. So I know that I can reach out. Like stuff like that, holding IT accountable, something that I've found to be so helpful. We all have a million competing priorities. You have to find a way to be able to, easily access who's gotten that and who has not. Otherwise it falls through the cracks. Yeah. And I, and I think I heard you say like previous reminders, like maybe a week ahead of time, since we know this stuff takes time that could, that could really help um, because the IT person's busy as well. It's so easy to maybe say some bad things about them not doing something, but we never notice IT when stuff works, right? We only notice IT when it's not working. Of course, Adam, anything else that you'd add? I'm curious for your perspective, you've seen work from an IT um, onboarding. Uh, perspective. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think the reminders are key when I've, when I've seen this done well, it does come in like, you know, we had to, especially today with remote, you have to mail out the the equipment a certain time in advance. Maybe you have to file some internal tickets to get people access to systems. And a lot of times doing that ahead of time. And if leadership needs to approve it, now you're just reaching out to multiple teams and reminding them and then the other thing that I, you know, maybe on the flip side of that, once they do start and let's assume everything did go smoothly, I'm always a big fan of just like not giving them the tidal wave of everything at once. Um, you know, have them do what they have to do, get into the, the little pieces and then show them where the references are. You know, if they have a trouble ticket type system, they need access or whatnot. Um, but, but I kind of like trickling it out over time. I've seen too many times where it's like, we're going to train you on, Slack and Confluence and a thousand things in the first three days. And then you're overloaded and you hate your job because they just gave you a thousand things in three days. Right. While you were talking, Adam, you reminded me one more thing that I've found uh, helpful that companies do is they'll block the first two hours or, or whatever, set up IT with that new individual. Like, hey, here's a link that you can do to set up with IT at 9.30 on your first day or 10.30. Like that's been something that I've seen being pretty uh, effective versus like, oh, IT already has a million different things going on. So it's Friday by the time I actually get time with them. So that's been something I've seen have pretty good success as well. Yeah, that's that's effective. I've also seen like open office hours that you know are maybe at certain times for people that are on their first week or maybe their first month because you know issues can trickle in even, even a little later on when you're still kind of new. Right, right. I love that. Um, well, 
I think the one thing we haven't really touched on from those pieces that, that I wanted to dive into more is the buddy or mentor system. And I think those are two different things. They can both be valuable. You don't necessarily have to do both. So what, what are your thoughts about, or, you know, what are your best practices that you've seen with having a, a mentor for new people or to have a more peer-like buddy system for new people? I think it's a really important aspect of like employee engagement and retention. And so I, I think if you have the opportunity to have a buddy or mentor system, I highly, highly recommend it. I think, I think the best companies I've seen do this, figure out what's going to help my person, my new hire from four different perspectives. So what's their personality like? What are their interests? What are they really good at? And what do they need improvement on? So those four things. Uh, personality, interest, what are they good at? What do they need improvement on? Ideally, you match people up based on that. So do they have a similar personality that I think will jive well with that uh, person? Are they both interested in baseball or music or art? And I think that'll help them get along better. And then that part around, what does this new hire want to get, get better at? What are their opportunities for growth? And then what does that person do well? So that can pair really nicely. If you can implement parts of those different fours into your buddy and mentor system, I think that's going to be so valuable. And it's such a huge part of employee retention and engagement. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know we're so focused right now on onboarding, but I, I think these things pay very long-term dividends too. I mean, we talk about employee growth and depending on the company and the role, sometimes those kind of opportunities aren't very clearly mapped out for people. It's it's kind of up to the employee themselves and having that discussion to know what their long-term interests and plans are, having that mentor that can help guide them through the myriad of positions, if especially if it's a larger company, I, I think that's going to give you more long-term growth and more invested employees when they know that they have opportunities for growth. Exactly. And I was actually just having a conversation with a, a, a friend about this before, but like when you talk about long-term impact, also your recruitment. So like people that are engaged, talk positively about your organization that when they're checking on Glassdoor or Indeed or wherever, it's like people are providing good, they're saying good things about this organization. And that all starts from the first impression that you make and from the buddy and from the friends that you create in the organization, the managers that you have and the manager's ability to create that relationship with their employees. Like long-term impacts, this can have a massive impact, not only from an engagement perspective and happiness, but like also financially. Like these are huge, huge benefits that you have from this, as long as you're playing the long game from an employment perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good segue into something we touched on earlier, but I wanted to make sure we discussed was that relationships aspect. So, you know, I, I hear you say this a lot. I see it in your posts. You talk a lot about fostering relationships as a way to build culture, as a way to retain employees. So a lot of companies might do it in disingenuous ways. You know, maybe it sounds fake. So how can people build those relationships with their incoming people um, to where it, it feels genuine and actually creates that culture. So I, 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 uh, I know I've mentioned this a lot, but I'll hit on it again. You got to start early. You, you cannot wait to begin to build that relationship. And you actually have to ask and care when you ask somebody what motivates them and what interests them. Like that gives you a really good opportunity to work effectively with Harris. If, if Harris mentions that um, he's really into football and has, um, uh, a kid on the way. And like, these are all really good opportunities for you to mention um, down the road. Hey, Harris, let me check in with you personally. Like the more, the younger the work world gets, the more I think 
people are starting to talk about and care more about not only just their professionalized, but their personalized. And like, as an organization, you have to foster that type of culture and engagement that asks uh, those questions about it. Because like people want it, they're, they're not just ex-employee at X organization, they're Adam with all this else going on. And if I can ask about that and care about that, it's gonna make such a massive impact in Adam wanting to stay at this organization because I care about Adam, not just as employee X, but also with Adam and everything else that he has going on in his life. So for the most part, I, I don't know if every single employee cares about that, but I would say for the most part, if you can start to get in on that and care about that, you're gonna make a massive impact in your people caring about wanting to be productive, wanting to be effective for your organization. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that maybe not every employee cares about it. And and that's true. I'm sure some people just want to come to work, get their work done, go home. They don't want work friends. It doesn't matter. And sometimes I think people have this false perception that it's divided by what generation you're in. They might think, you know, millennials and, and Gen Z are very valued to this and, and the boomers and older folks may not be. Um, and, and, you know, right now I'm working with a lot of engineers who, who on the surface you might think are very like gruff, not, not friendly people, but man, I found someone. And when I started finding out that he's a hockey fan and I asked him about hockey, he opened up to me about everything. So it, it might just be that you're not, not trying. Have you noticed that trend too, that we assume that it's just certain types of people that value this than others? A hundred percent. Like I, I love that story. It's so true. You're just talking like the person who says that person doesn't care. You're just talking about something that they don't care about. Like that's why they seem like they don't care. Like you get to talk about their kids or their grandkids or their wife or their hobbies or fishing or whatever it is. Like if you hit on what they care about, they're going to open up. They're going to be excited. They're going to be engaged. It's a basic human want and need. And everybody has it. And I couldn't agree more with you. There, there is that stereotype that like Gen Z and millennials want it more, but just let's just let's just get at it also for any type of generation doesn't doesn't matter everybody wants to feel that sense of connection and belonging that's a basic human need and the organizations that do that effectively and do it early will be the ones that are more productive and don't have those huge costs on the back end of hiring new talent consistently yeah you know and and we we tend to see these things that a lot lot of organizations do and and i want to clarify i'm not going to say bad things about these but we see things like employee resource groups and uh, certain team building events and virtual happy hours. And, and those seem like those are more common things. And those may not be for everyone. I, I absolutely hate virtual happy hours. Uh, in person, fine, but virtual, I don't like them. Um, but we don't see as much of like the creative or customized to the individual type situations like what you're mentioning. Um, I think one of my favorite things at a previous job was there was a Slack channel where people would post pictures of their pets. I love that Slack channel. I'd post pictures of my dogs and see pictures of other people's dogs. So what, what do you think about kind of like the outside the norm, atypical ways of building relationships with employees? It's amazing. And, and it has to be done. Like I had somebody at an employer once who just like, I mentioned a love of the, uh, they were the Redskins at the time, but the, the commanders now, and like they made the playoffs that year. And my boss sent me like a shirt that said like, whatever, like Redskins made the play, like Redskins NFC's champions. There's like, that's an amazing touch. Like doing like one-off gifts like that can be so valuable and important. I think like the more unique a, a outreach or strategies around relationship building, like is really smart. It's, a, it's an area that I'm really passionate about. I think what I do that I think uh, I learned somewhere and I, and I love it is like anytime somebody comes into my mind, 
I shoot off a text or an email or a note, just being like, hey, thinking about you because of X, Y, and Z. Like, that's one of my favorite relationship building tactics. It can work in the workplace. It can work in general. It's like, who doesn't want to get that text? It's like, hey, Adam, I was having a conversation about X, Y, and Z. It made me think about you. Everybody wants to feel that. And so doing the initiative to actually take it takes, yeah, 5, 10, 15 seconds, but it's made huge dividends and like me continuing to like keep those relationships strong. Um, Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi is like one of my favorite uh, books I've ever read. And it's all about these different ways that we build relationships. And I think like that's what life is all about. Like that's my uh, thing that I love. My passion is like around building relationships and doing it in unique and fun ways is something that I'm always in for. And I love different and nuanced ways of doing it. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I like the random message. It, and I, I'm someone who that doesn't come naturally to me, but I've been kind of forcing myself to do it. I'll send, I, I just sent a LinkedIn message to a former manager of mine who she, she's now a senior leader at another business. And it, she said it made her day. And I was just like, oh, I, I should have done this a long time ago. I should have given you this message two years ago. And I just didn't think about it until today. Um, but you're right at work, you can do it. You could do it via Slack or via Teams. Um, just give that nice message to that person you haven't worked with in a couple of months. And maybe they'll, they'll uh, appreciate that. When I worked at a big organization, I would like have something on my calendar every Friday that was reach out to somebody that made a big impact on you that week. And it was just like, I'd go through my head and be like, oh, uh, John in marketing did that thing. And it was really nice. And I actually didn't take enough time to really thank him for it. And maybe I said, hey, quick, thank you via Slack when it was, but like actually taking the time to send him a one-off email with just the subject line, thank you. And then like going through and being like, hey, that was really impactful. Like that type of stuff goes such a long way. But most of the time it's like, oh, we have an issue with this thing. And that's like what I'm constantly emailing John about. So being intentional about not like thanking people and being grateful is something that like I've tried to implement and do in my life and been very impactful. And I love when I've seen organizations uh, add stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, now we're talking a little bit past that initial starting time. Um, you know, I, I've always kind of advocated your onboarding should be generally at least a 90 day process. Whereas a lot of companies, they really focus on that first week, or if it's a job that might have a, a more in-depth training, it's several weeks or whatnot. But, you know, it's very in-depth for a period, and then let's throw them to the wolves. So what, what are your thoughts about kind of a more elongated, longer follow-up period for onboarding? And, and where have you seen that done well? Yeah, it's a... Uh... Cause it's tough because you also don't want to spend too much of the team's time, like focusing as, as the employee continues to go later and later. But like, I do believe in like 30, 60, 90 day focuses. And like the first 30 days should be around like learning. So how can I learn as much as possible? How can I shadow? How can I see, how can I uh, talk with different people? The next 60 days is really when you start to like experiment. So you're like starting to do the job and, and you're still getting a good amount of feedback, your manager's still seeing what you're doing. And then at the 90 day mark, it's like, okay, I want to be able to execute. So like learning, uh, 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 just blanking on it, uh, predict, like uh, pr uh, trying it out and then being able to do it. Like that's the big way that I've seen companies do that effectively and focusing on like, okay, at 30 days, here's what you need to be able to do. At 60 days, here's what you need to do. And 90, I mean, the thing that tends to happen is like people get so busy that the manager kind of stops focusing on it. Being able to like help people through that is so helpful, but also not doing it in a micromanaging type way. Cause I've seen that unfortunately, when it gets too kind of, we got to make sure your goals are hit that way. Like I've seen that 
blow up pretty uh, several times. So you want to make sure that you're doing it in a way that makes them feel supported, but not micromanaged would be like my, some of my words of wisdom around it. Yeah, that that's true. And I, I definitely don't want to give the impression I'm recommending a dedicated time intensive 90 day onboarding. I, I think you hit the nail on the head that really past that first month, it's more check-ins. If we have that buddy or mentor, they're, they're checking in, the leaders checking in, maybe even IT might have once a month check-ins, HR might have once a month check-ins just to see if people have needs, not necessarily prescribing them things, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. No, you, you definitely didn't say micromanaging at all. I just want to say that's one of the things I've seen not work well is when somebody follows it so much to a T they're like, Oh, you have to, it's like, things are going to adapt. Things are going to change, be a resource, be helpful. Don't necessarily micromanage, but you were not saying that at all, but that is something I've seen organizations struggle with. Yeah, no. And I've seen it too. Um, I I've been in, in organizations where that was the standard was to micromanage an onboarding process. And I would have to like kind of buck the trend to give the individual employee a little bit more autonomy and, and freedom over what they're doing. Um, this is probably a good transition over to, to your company. Uh, you know, it's active onboarding. And, and I know that you, I don't want to speak too much for it, but I know you provide um, assistance or templates that companies can follow. Um, tell us a little bit more about what your company does and how it helps um, companies to have effective onboarding. Thanks so much for asking, Adam. So it's Activate Onboarding. So activateonboarding.com. What we do essentially is manage the process from the moment your new hire accepts their offer through their first day. How do we, one, make sure that they actually show up and two, make sure that they feel a sense of belonging and connection to that organization while also taking this off the plate of the HR individual, the co-founder, the founder, the chief of staff. We want to make your life as easy as possible, also helping that person feel that connection and belonging. So we've automated a system that essentially you put in the new hire's name, uh, email, a couple of different colleagues. What it'll immediately do is shoot off a survey to that new hire saying, um, hey, Harris, so excited to have you join. What brought you here? What's going to keep you here? What motivates you? A bunch of different questions. That immediately gets pushed over to their manager. Their manager has the blueprint to be able to effectively work with them. Their manager also reaches out, says, hey, Harris, so excited for you to join. There's constant touch points that the manager has across that process. We've automated a way for a senior leader to be able to easily share that 30-second video that we talked about, while also having the opportunity for team members to easily use different email templates reaching out, and then we ensure that IT strong connection with um, the new hire. So we've automated this full process so that you don't have to manually do it. What I found in so many organizations was it had to be manually done, which took a ton of time and also made it so it sometimes didn't happen. So I've come up with a solution that automates that process while still helping that new hire have an amazing first impression with your organization. That's great. I, I like the automation um, that takes away some of the human error that can happen with that. And I also like that you give some templates so that people aren't going to have to create this stuff from the ground up. And now, now, do you find that, are, are you finding more, you know, smaller, more established companies that maybe don't have this process in place that value from this? Or are you finding that larger companies that might just, and they have a process in place, but it's just not clean. You know, who are you seeing that, that has value for this kind of service? Yeah, our, our customers that we've been working pretty heavily towards and working heavily with have been companies that are growing at a very fast rate that might've just received funding to hire a number of different positions and don't have the HR staff and team to be able to effectively pre-board and onboard those new hires effectively. 
So they really want to and believe in creating that really good first impression, having a strong uh, employee engagement and retention, but they just don't have the staff to be able to do it um, or the HR team to be able to do it. So they've been uh, having us do that for them, working closely with them to ensure that that works well. It's been awesome. Like it, we've seen some really good results. People like the, the feeling that the new hires are having that we're getting uh, feedback on has been like amazing. And I'm really excited for, for where we're at and where we're going to go as we continue to implement and add new things to this solution. That's awesome. Um, what are, if you're able to share, what are some things you've heard from the people that have been through this onboarding process using, using Activate? My company cares about me a lot. I've never seen this type of first impression before. It's amazing how much include, included you can feel when people reach out. I've been like some of the, the cool things we've been doing and HR staffs have been, our founders have been like, we've been manually doing this process for so long. Like, thank you for doing something that makes it easy for us to not have to, oh, put on my calendar, reach out to this person, this person, this person. And the other aspect of it is there's a dashboard that you can see all your new hires. What have they gotten? What have they done? Um, have they gotten their IT? So that you have one place for all this different information so that you don't have to look in a bunch of different places so things don't fall through the cracks. Oh, that's awesome. Um, well, I'll definitely put it in show notes, but really the last thing that I think I'd be interested in and people might be interested in is, you know, a lot of times we see a lot of modern companies where you have a service like this and it's, it's like a, a monthly fee or whatnot. So when we, we look at this, as far as, uh, how companies would integrate a solution like this, are, are they going to now have to commit to a certain period of time or, or is it something that they could do, you know, for specific groups of people that are onboarding? You can do it for specific groups. So you only pay when you have a new hire. So you only pay per new hire. It's $149 per new hire. You want to put them into the system that gets them from accepting to day one. Uh, and if you don't have any new hires, like for a certain month, you don't pay, you just pay per um, new hire. It's also not a new big system that you have to implement. I heard a lot from clients around, please don't make us implement a whole giant software. This is done pretty seamlessly where nobody has to adopt any type of new software. It's being seamlessly into your email, into different forms, like things that people are already used to doing rather than creating some big new software that everyone has to implement and start to adopt and use. It's all is built into your workflow. Yeah, that's good. Not adding to someone's tech stack is always a win. And also um, not having reoccurring charges added to the, the cost stack is always good too. So I'll, I'll make sure I include the link to that in the show notes. Um, but we, we are getting close to, to wrap up. So I, I want to find out other than your website, which I'll include, where else can people who want to learn more about you find and connect with you? Thanks so much for asking and, and quick plug to you as well for, for your work that you're showing here and on, on Twitter and LinkedIn. So I can be found at Harris Fanneroff on Twitter and LinkedIn. Those are the two social media platforms that I tend to uh, be on a lot and share a lot of knowledge around. I'm posting basically every single day on Twitter and five days a week on LinkedIn. So I, I love to connect. If you have questions or you want to talk about onboarding or pre-boarding, I love those conversations. If you want to talk about implementing Activate onboarding at your organization, would love to have that conversation. So please feel free to reach out. I, I, I love this stuff. I have a passion for it. I really believe in what it can do. And, and I'm just, I, I love it. This is my passion. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I do too. And those are, those are coincidentally my favorite social platforms as well. Cause I just feel like it's easier to 
connect with good people and learn from them and to help help them out versus some of the more superficial things I've seen on other social platforms. Um, and I didn't even know this before, actually today when we talked before the show, that you recently started your own podcast. So you want to you plug that and I'll make sure I, I link to that as well. It's called the Greater Self Podcast. I get the opportunity to talk with chief HR officers, chief learning officers about uh, some of the things that they're focused on, where, how has the industry changed over the last 10 to 15 years? Where do they see the industry going? Uh, what brought them into the industry? I, I love the people side of business. HR is my home. I love connecting with these types of individuals. So the, the podcast has been a great avenue for me to learn from other individuals. It's called The Greater Self. And it's been a really nice uh, project for me that I've loved to, to have conversations about. So thank you for the, for the plug about that as well, Adam. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to checking that out because I love your perspectives and I'm sure I'll love hearing your conversations. Well, um, Harris, I, I ask every guest this question to end the show and I'm interested to see uh, what your thoughts are on it. So just what's one thing, either personal or professional that you've learned lately that you've found to be a benefit to you? I learned recently. So this, this is a very timely conversation that having a lot of drive is really, really good. Having too much drive can get in your way and can be overwhelming. And it's something that you need to manage around and be aware of. So I think drive gets a really good rap. It's really good to have a lot of drive. And if you're someone who has a lot of drive, make sure that you're managing around that and being aware of it and not overwhelming yourself. That's been a really big learning aspect for me over the last several weeks and months. And it's something that I'll probably continue to work on and, and try to help myself with for the rest of my life. Um, so I love yeah. that question. Yeah. Great, great advice. Um, burnout can happen to all high performers. So it, it's good to put yourself in check like that. Well, Harris, it's been a pleasure getting, getting to talk with you. I, I've loved having you on the show. I'm hoping we can do it again one day, but, but thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. I want to give a big shout out to you. You're doing amazing work. I'm loving to follow you on those two platforms. Can't wait to uh, see all that you accomplish, Adam. And thanks again for having me on. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure we'll be working together in the future again. But um, Harris, it was a pleasure having you on. We'll, I'm sure we'll do it again one day. And everyone at home, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode.